So uh, don't, don't, uh, don't miss that. Don't miss that. And, and you might not be used to that openness and that expression of worship to God, but here's how we feel about it at Whitley. I mean, just what a waste of time it would be to come and just go through a bunch of motions and never see God, touch God, sense God, be with God. I mean, that's why we're here. That's why we're here as the family of God. And so we are just so glad to see you guys. And I sound like I'm in a barrel up here for some reason, guys. I'm getting some feedback from the uh, monitors. Um, Please uh, uh, go by the information desk. There's a bunch of stuff to sign up for. I really don't have time to go all over all of that today. I will tell you that last weekend was an incredible success as it relates to missions. If you were not here, we need you to go by the table in the foyer and fill out one of these pledge cards. If you were not here last week and pledge what you're going to be giving to missions over the next year on a monthly basis. And also, we'd like for you to leave an offering, if you would. There are missions envelopes in your pew there. You can leave an offering right there at that table with the person who will be volunteering there. That's what we hope you'll do. No pressure. But please fill out the pledge card, and you tear the bottom part off and keep that for yourself as a reminder and, uh, and give the top part to that person uh, there. This afternoon, uh, you saw the cross and the crown, a uh, little video clip of some of the activities that happen and some of the ministry that happens through the cross and the crown and we're hoping you guys are going to be here for that but we actually need you to be here this afternoon especially you uh you men around three o'clock um and some of y'all won't know what this means but some of you will we're going to be bringing in the mountain y'all know what that means listen this whole stage transforms into a scene from the middle east and I mean from about where that light is over there to about where that light is. It becomes a mountain, a marketplace. It becomes Pilate's Judgment Hall, all of that. For those of you who have not seen it, we're bringing the mountain in today because what we do is this, um, this setting, uh, we take it apart and we store it. And then we bring it in every year. So this is the year, it's the, it's today's the day we bring it in. And so next Sunday when you get here, the mountain will be up. Uh, it may not be totally completed, but it'll be up on the stage. So, uh, uh, guys, at 3 o'clock today, right after you eat lunch, you know, and you're feeling pumped and ready, uh, come on out here at 3 o'clock and help us move the mountain in. We, meet, we need all the men we can get. Bring your tools with you and uh, help us out, okay? And then rehearsals at 5 o'clock. So, uh, don't forget our Servolution. You've been hearing us talk about Servolution. Uh, there's going to be an event in Goldsboro at the Stony Creek Park, and it is on April 4th. That's the park right across from where the bridge is, you know, at uh, the cloth barn right there. And uh, it's, a, it's an event the city is having, and it's uh, um, some type of walkathon, or they're raising money to, to help the hungry, or, or I, I really am not sure what that event is about. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to be there. Uh, the bridge is going to be the representative there, and we need volunteers for that. So if you'd like to help us out, and we're going to be giving away water, and we're just going to be there to be loving and kind and show Jesus. You know what the world wants? The world doesn't want any more sermons on Jesus. They want demonstrations of Jesus. And so let's demonstrate uh, the love of Jesus by being a part of this. Some of you guys want to play softball. There's a meeting in the overflow right after church today, so don't forget get about that. There's a ton of stuff in your worship program. I'm not going to go over all that. Please read your worship program. All righty. 
We're beginning a brand new series of messages today on a very sensitive topic, the topic of hell. And so let's begin by looking at an article that was in the San Francisco Chronicle in July of 2002. That was just a few years ago. The title of this article is called Hell Losing Its Fire in American Sermons. There's a little subtitle right under that that says, Hell is too negative for today's worshipers. Bill Ferris believes in hell, that frightful netherworld where the thermostat is always set on high, where sinners toil for eternity in unspeakable torment. But you would never know Bill Ferris believes in hell by listening to him preach at his South Orange County Evangelical Church. And an evangelical church is a church like us, a church that believes the Bible is true. And we believe not only that the Bible is true, but we believe that every one of us have been commissioned and called by the Lord Jesus to share the Word of God, to share the gospel, to share the good news. We're evangelicals. And this pastor is a pastor of an evangelical church. The article goes on to say he never mentions the topic of hell at his church. And his flock shows little interest in it. Here's what Bill Ferris, pastor of Crown Valley Vineyard Christian Fellowship, said. The subject of hell isn't sexy enough anymore. And uh, the article then goes on to say that in churches across America, hell is being frozen out as clergy find themselves increasingly hesitant to sermonize on Christianity's outposts for lost souls. The violence and torture that Dante described in the Inferno and the Aeronymous Bosch illustrated on canvas five centuries ago have become cultural fossils in most mainstream Christian denominations, a storyline that no longer resonates with churchgoers. And then Harvey Cox Jr., who was an author or is an author, he is a religious historian, a professor, also a professor at Harvard Divinity School. This is what he said. He said, there's been a shift in religion from focusing on what happens in the next life to asking what is the quality of this life we're living now. Now, folks, I want to just pause right there because... I want to make the point that we as human beings, and even as Christians, and even as a church, as a pastor, as individuals, we have a tendency toward extremes. We have a tendency toward extreme in this direction or extreme in this direction. Our tendency is not balance, but as humans, our tendency is extremes. Let me give you an example. I uh, have been in church all my life, literally all my life. My mom took me to church as soon as I was born and able to go to church, and she was able to go to church. We were right there. And I remember growing up in church. My dad was a pastor, and we grew up in church. And I remember the old songs we used to sing, and I still love those songs. But how many of y'all remember just about all of them were about heaven? They were about heaven. They were about the hereafter. Uh, y'all remember uh, when we all get to heaven? And uh, I'll meet you by the river up in, you know, we even sung about where we were all going to hook up at once we got to heaven. And, um, and, and so I, I'm telling you, as I went through an old hymn book this week, 
just probably 80% of the book uh, songs in that hymn book were about heaven. So we kind of had a, a thought process that was like this. It's terrible down here. It's awful down here. It's never going to be good down here. So hold on till you get to heaven. Uh, Y'all remember that old song we used to sing, Hold the Fort Till Jesus Comes, you know? And, uh, and so that was the perspective. So that was an extreme position because God, Jesus said, I want you to have life, and I want you to have life in heaven eternally. But then he said, I want you to have abundant life, and that means he wanted us to know fulfillment and fruitfulness down here in the world. So now what we've done, now what we've done is we've almost swung that pendulum back totally the other way where now we don't even talk about the afterlife we talk about how to be successful in this world here's my point both of those points need to be made that there is an afterlife but there is also an abundant life a life of fruitfulness and fulfillment you can live here but we need to be balanced in talking about those two things I'll tell you I don't think uh, we talk about hell enough in church I don't think we talk about heaven enough I don't think we talk about um, eternity enough, and, 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 uh, and I think we've kind of swung that pendulum. So that's what uh, Harvey Cox Jr., this uh, author, historian, and professor, is saying. Let me read that quote again. He said, there's been a shift in religion from focusing on what happens in the next life to asking ourselves, what is the quality of this life we're leading now? Then he goes on to say, you can go to a whole lot of churches week after week, and you'd be startled to ever hear the mention of hell. Now, one of the things I am determined as your pastor to do here uh, in leading you is I am determined that we're not going to get into a bunch of laws and legalisms that aren't in the Bible. And, uh, and I think one of the reasons for the liberty we enjoy here at Whitley Church is because we do not want to get into the pharisaical practice of those who have created rules that have no biblical basis. Are y'all with me out there this morning? Because that will put you in bondage. That is legalism, and that will put you in bondage. But also, another L word will put you in bondage, and that is liberalism. Where we water down the Word of God, where we say the Word of God, you know, some of it might be really God's Word, but then some of it really isn't God's Word. And, and so, so you've got that, again, extremes, here we go again, where you have the legalism on one end and the liberalism on the other end. Here's what God has said to me as your leader in my heart. And I don't mean when I say God said something to me that I heard it audibly, but He's spoken in my heart. And that is that... <clears throat> God wants us to be innovative as a church. He wants us to be creative. As a matter of fact, I want to do things as a church that will cause the world to go, can you do that at church? Is it okay to do that? I want them to, because traditions that have come along through the years have drawn lines of what we can do and can't do in church and what those traditions have done because they have no biblical basis what they've done is they've driven walls and built walls between the church and the unchurched community and I want to bring those walls down by saying that you know what we don't have any rules or regulations that are not based in the scripture and we want you to come and understand that we're not holy, holy, 
that we, there's only one holy, holy, and we sung about him today, and he is in heaven, and he's our king, he's our God, he's our Lord. The rest of us stumble, make mistakes, fall, sin, and we want you to come and be a part of us as we pray together and work together and learn God's word together and grow together in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, my goal and my calling is to help you to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. But see, I need you to help me become a fully devoted follower of Jesus because sometimes I fall and sometimes I stumble. And so I need men of God and women of God to hold me accountable. We're not here to judge anybody. We're all trying to get through this thing in victory and in power. Y'all with me today? I got to tell you something, this isn't in the notes. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I, 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 I want us in being creative. Here, here's what God says. God says. God says the methods can change. How many of y'all know we don't do church like we did 20 years ago? Methods can change, but the message never changes. So this sermon series today is uh, a difficult one to talk about. And for months, I actually tried to talk myself out of it and tried to talk God out of it. And it's not a happy message. I want to, I want to tell you, and, and you'll notice that it's three parts. I'm going to deal with it today and the next two Sundays, and, and then I'm done because I didn't want to stay on this topic too long. But I want to address this topic, and I want it on our, on our website, and I want it available on CD so you can go back and listen to this message uh, from time to time, share it with your friends. It, it's a See, I want to preach messages that edify. I mean, that's my, that's my humanity. That's my flesh. I want to preach messages that make everybody feel good. I mean, you know, I don't want to preach messages that, that make people kind of, I can always tell when I kind of preached a hard sermon, nobody comes up and talks to me after the sermon. Everybody just kind of leaves, and I'm up here going, bye, <laughs> you know. Um, so, so this might be one of those sermons. I, I love preaching on joy and victorious living, but I'm convinced that the missing message in today's church is the message concerning hell. And I want to tell you something. I believe we're reaping the consequences of not preaching that message. I believe as we look around our communities and society, I think as we look even in our churches, we, are, we see that we are reaping the consequences of never talking about this and never preaching on this. I believe the reason we have so much so-called hell in our world is because there's so little of it being taught from the pulpits of America. I believe that we need to sound the alarm. And it is my prayer that this sermon series will sound the alarm, at least in this church, and wake us up. This series is not primarily directed to those who do not know Jesus. Rather, this series is directed to those who have received Jesus Christ. The fact is, a lot of people come to Christ by hearing a message on hell, but most people do not come to Christ that way. If you ask people how you came to know Jesus, you're not going to hear from many people, well, I heard a sermon on hell and I, and I wanted to get saved. So, so I'm preaching primarily to the church, and here's why, because I believe most Christians today are not sufficiently motivated to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So one of the greatest motivations we have for witnessing is the love of God that constrains us to tell people about Jesus. Let me give you an illustration of that. Do you all remember in Mark chapter 2 when those four guys were on their way to church? 
And they walked by this guy who was laying on a little pallet beside the road, and he had palsy so bad he could not walk. And so instead of them going on to church the way we do so many times and passing by so many people who if we had called them and said, hey, can I pick you up on the way to church, they probably would have said yes. Amen, amen. Yet we just get dressed and we go to church. Think about that. Is there somebody you could bring with you on Sunday? And so as they're walking down the street, they see this man and he's sitting there and he's trembling and he's shaking all over his body. He's quaking to the point that he cannot even get up on his feet. And the compassion of Christ compels them to go and take him to church. It would have been more convenient not to. It would have been more convenient not to, not to mess with this guy. I mean, he's a lot of trouble, and he, there's a lot of upkeep there, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of maintenance with a person like that when you involve your life with a person like that. But they said, we cannot pass him by. Their love, listen, listen, constrained them to bring him to Jesus. I would to God that the spirit that was on those four men be on us today. That we cannot pass by the broken. We cannot pass by the spiritually crippled. I pray that we would be so consumed with the love of God that we would look at those who need him and say, can I take you to church? Knowing that when you bring them here to this church, we're going to love them. And we're not, you're not going to bring them into a cold atmosphere of a holier-than-thou group of people. And that's why I love you all so much and I'm so proud of you. Because I see you walking up to new people and guests and visitors. And, and, and I see things happening that five years ago I did not see happening in this church. Because you are buying into this belief that it isn't about you. It's about the kingdom of God. I'm so proud of you. But let the Spirit... Of these four men in Mark chapter 2, let that spirit be on us. And the church said, let it be on us, Lord. That would make us, that, that the love of God would compel us to bring the lost to Christ. There's another motivation, though, for witnessing. And it's the one I want to talk about today. Paul mentions it in 2 Corinthians 5.11. Look up on the screen at this verse. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we what? Persuade men. Knowing the terror that lost people will face. Knowing the terror of hell. Understanding just a little bit about the facts concerning hell will make us want to tell people about Jesus. And so that's the motivation of this series. Every one of us here today have loved ones who are going to die and go to hell. We know of them right now who are going to die and go to hell if we do not or somebody does not reach them for Christ. Therefore, it is the church that needs to be warned and it is the church that needs to be shocked out of lethargy and complacency. That's my prayer for this series. You see, if I'm a faithful preacher of the gospel, then I have to preach on this topic. Because the Bible says, Pharaoh Hardison, you must preach the whole counsel of God. 
Not just the parts you like. Not just the parts you enjoy. Not just the parts that are going to make people come up and go, Oh, you blessed me today, Pastor. Your message made me feel so good. Well, I like to preach like that. And I like for the messages to make you feel good. But sometimes God doesn't intend for them to make you feel good. God intends for the messages that flow from his pulpit to challenge us and, and to, to, to maybe even sting, pinch a little bit as we hear them. You see, as a preacher of the gospel, I'm compelled to preach as Jesus preached. Jesus Christ had more to say about the place called hell than any other person in the Bible. And some of you all might be saying, why does he have to do this? Why does he have to talk about this? You know, I brought a visitor, I brought a friend, and I don't understand why he has to talk about this. Here's why. Because, see, one day I will stand before God alone. None of you will be there. And I will stand before the Lord Jesus all by myself. And he will look at me and say, did you tell them the truth? Did you tell them the truth? Did you hold back because you wanted to be liked? Did you hold back because you wanted to be you wanted to be loved, you wanted accolades, you wanted praise. Did you hold back because you were afraid they might leave the church? Or did you hold back because you were afraid you would offend? Or did you do what I told you to do? Did you proclaim the whole counsel of God? And I want to be able to look Jesus right in the eye and say, Lord, the best I could, the best I knew how, I told them everything. And so in order to tell you everything, I have to tell you about hell. The Bible says in Revelation 21, 7 and 8, he or she who overcomes shall inherit all things, all things heavenly, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. Now that's the group I want to be in. Amen. But then it says in the next verse, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, that doesn't mean that if you murdered somebody, you can never go to heaven. You will go to hell. That isn't what that means. Here's what that means. That means that if you practice this lifestyle with any, with any sense of sorrow, if you practice this lifestyle with any sense of conviction, then the fact is you don't know Christ. So you will not go to heaven, not because you did one of these things, but because you rejected Christ and you lived this lifestyle. Does that, you see the difference? Here's my point. You might be sitting here today and you've done something immoral. You might be sitting here today and you've stole something or, or you've lied or, or, or you at one time maybe were even an idolater. But see, if you come to Jesus this morning and say, Jesus, that was wrong, and I was wrong, and, and Lord, I did that because I didn't know you, and, and so, Lord, I want to know you because I don't want to live this life, then he will forgive you, and even though you've done that, you will still go to heaven. So I don't want you to think that if I've done these things, that means I can never go to heaven. What it means is that if you practice that lifestyle and you have no conviction about it, or you resist the conviction you may feel about it, then it means you do not know Christ. Because you see, the only thing that will cause you not to go to heaven, the only thing that will cause you to go to hell, there's only one sin that will do it. There's only one sin, and it is the sin of unbelief. 
the sin of unbelief. For once you have received Christ, truly received Christ as your personal Savior, then you, then you have been made right with God. And so you do not go to hell when you die. You go to heaven when you die. And I'm going to say something today that might be controversial. If you think you've got to be perfect to go to heaven, that's a mistake as well. Because we are not saved by our perfection. Because i got news for all of you. You're none perfect. None of you. Y'all look stunned. I am not perfect. Now you don't look stunned. None of us are perfect. We're not going to heaven based on perfection. We're going to heaven based on relationship. And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and, and you have received him into your heart, his work on the cross, his resurrection from the grave. You have received him into your life, and you've received his forgiveness of sin. You've received him into your heart. Listen, you're still going to stumble. You're still going to make mistakes as a Christian, but you are his child. Are you all with me? So when somebody looks at you in the eye and they go, when you die, are you going to heaven? If you've received Christ, don't stumble. Don't stutter. Look them dead in the eye and go, yes. You say, well, I don't want to appear arrogant. How could you appear arrogant when you have nothing to do with going to heaven? Are y'all with me? He is the one who has made you right. His righteousness. See, when you accepted Christ, he imparted to you his righteousness. So when you stand before God, God doesn't even see you. Hallelujah. Because you'd never make it. He sees his son. He sees the righteousness of Jesus imparted to you because there is only one who is righteous enough to go to heaven, and that is Jesus himself. So how can we get there? He has to impart to us his righteousness, and that happens when we're born again into the family of God. Is this making sense? I read a story recently about some sailors who were aboard a ship. And they asked the chaplain this question. They said, chaplain, do you believe in hell? He said, I certainly do. Why do you ask? They said, because if there is a hell and you didn't believe in it, we don't want you to be our chaplain. And if there is no hell, we don't really need a chaplain. Sometimes the preacher who dares to mention hell is accused of being unloving and out of date. The world loves to sneer with sarcasm and mockery at men who preach the way I'm preaching today. And they call men like me hellfire and brimstone preachers or hellfire and damnation preachers. But one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard in my life is Dr. Robert G. Lee. And here's what he said. He said, I know some people call the preacher who stands squarely upon the teaching of Christ and his apostles. I know they call that preacher narrow. He said, I know that. I know they call him harsh and cruel. Then he said, as to being narrow, I have no desire to be any broader than was Jesus. As to being cruel, is it cruel to tell a man the truth? Is a man cruel who declares the whole counsel of God and points out to men the danger they are in? Dr. Lee says, is it cruel to arouse sleeping people to the fact that the house is on fire? Is it cruel to jerk a blind man away from a rattlesnake who is coiled up ready to strike? Is it cruel, he asked, to declare to people the deadliness of a disease and then tell them which medicine to take? Is that cruel? And here's what Dr. Lee said. He said, I'd rather be called cruel for really being kind. And what he means by that, I'd rather be, be called cruel for telling people the truth. Because that's when you're being kind, is when you tell people the truth. 
See, the worst thing I could do to you all is stand here and tell you, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. That would be the most cruel thing I could do. So Dr. Lee says, I'd rather be called cruel for being kind than to be called kind for being cruel. To speak sneeringly, disparagingly about a preacher or a church that believes in hell. To ridicule a preacher or a church who warns of hell would be the same as ridiculing a doctor or a hospital who warns of cancer. Hell is not a pleasant subject. I admit that. But it is a fact, and you need to know about it. People don't like the idea of hell. They especially don't like the idea of a literal hell. And um, they try to laugh it away. You know, when we mention hell or talk about hell, you hear people laugh. Well, you can laugh your way into hell, one preacher said, but once you're there, you can't laugh your way out. Here's what men think of hell. And it's in the book, it's in the Bible, in Proverbs 25, 28 and 5. It says evil men. Now, that doesn't mean um, uh, men who are mean. It means men who have rejected the truth of God. It means... It means those who will not receive the truth of God's word. Evil men understand not judgment. You know what we're seeing uh, in our modern day with this statement? How the, how the terrorists who are in jail are being treated. And I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be um, political today, but, but we're living in a time, ladies and gentlemen, when, when people who, who would love to wipe this country off the face of the earth are being treated as if they um, broke into the corner candy store. And here's why. Because evil men understand not judgment. Are y'all with me this morning? See, men, the world doesn't even like the idea of, the ju of judgment. They don't like the idea of hell. And so they try to eliminate this. And they try to do it by coming up with their own doctrines. And let me just mention a couple of those. And I'm already out of time today. But a couple of those are annihilation. Annihilation says that when you die, it's just over. It's like turning off a light, like a dog died or a grub worm in the ground died. Nobody knows about it. You're dead. It's over. There's nothing, uh, no life after death. And so they, they, they uh, embrace this doctrine because it helps them to deal with the subject of judgment and hell, and they get to dismiss it from their mind. Another one is the universalist, and the universalist believes that there is life after death, but that eventually everybody goes to heaven. This doctrine is also called the fatherhood of God, which says that all of us are the children of God. We're all the children of God. Y'all hear people say that, you know, Oprah and other people, they say, you know, God is our father, and we're all his children. Well, the fact is, that isn't true. And the reason it isn't true is because in the book of Romans, it tells me that if I'm going to be in God's family, I've got to get adopted. Well, if when I'm born, he's my father, why would I need to be adopted? I'll tell you why. Because when I'm born, I'm alienated from him. I'm not his son. I have to become his son by choice. These are the doctrines men have come up with to deal with the idea of hell. Now, as I preach on this, um, you can reject it. You can ignore it. Or you can believe it and do something about it. Some people ask, is hell literal or figurative? You know what, it doesn't matter to me if you take it literally or figuratively. I just want you to take it seriously. Take it seriously. And some people say, well, well, I don't know exactly, uh, you know, whether, how to do that. Well, I, I'm going to preach it the way it's written. How about that, okay? I'm just going to preach it the way it's written in the book. 
and you work out with God. And we'll talk about literal. You know, some people want to argue about whether it is a literal fire or a figurative fire. We'll talk about all that. But I'm, I'm going to preach it the way it's written in the book. I just want you to take it seriously. You see, because there are some people possibly sitting right here in this congregation this morning, and I am not trying to scare you, and God forbid that I would use any scare tactics. But see, I think when I talk about death and eternity, some of us are closer to that than we think we are. In a congregation this big, and we'll have our next service come in, we, we are averaging now, thanks to your faithfulness and your uh, getting out and inviting people to church, we're averaging for the first time in our history over a thousand people on, on we, in, in our weekend services. And I appreciate that. And I think it's just the beginning of, of our church becoming more and more a church that is reaching out to the community around us. But in a congregation this big, there's, there are people here who are closer to death and eternity than you think you are. As a matter of fact, 1 Samuel 20 and 3 says, there's but a step between me and death. That's in your Bible. Let me give you one characteristic of heaven and then we'll close. I want you to know that in, or one characteristic of hell, I'm sorry, and, and, and then we'll close. Hell is a place of vile associations. It's a place of vile associations. Someone said, well, if I go to hell, I'll have plenty of company. That person's right. And that company is listed in Revelation 21.8. Cowardly, unbelieving, abominable. You know what that word abominable means? It's not the snowman. <laughs> yeah, snowman wouldn't last long there. Abominable means monstrous. The monstrous people. Saddam Hussein, Adolf Hitler. Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Mark Twain, it is reported, once said, I'll take heaven for climate and hell for company. Well, Mark Twain was a comedian and a smart aleck, and if he's in hell today, Revelation 21.8 tells us who his company is. Let me tell you some people who are going to be in hell, and then we'll close. The devil's going to be there. Now, the devil isn't there right now, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But the Bible says in Revelation 20 and 10, the devil... This is from your Bible now, not Pastor Farrell, but the Bible. Revelation 20 and 10, first part of that verse. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. In Matthew 25, 41, Jesus said, I think when Jesus says something, that's pretty important. I have a tendency to believe people who died and then came back to life. I just have a tendency to do that. So Matthew 25, 41 says, says uh, this is the, the words of Jesus. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, and into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. So again, Satan is not in hell right now. We hear preachers say that. I've probably even said that myself. But the fact is, he's not in hell right now. And can I just tell you something about the devil? We, we kind of think the devil and God are sort of close. Maybe God's here and the devil's just right. Listen, there is no comparison in the power of God and the power of Satan. There's no, listen, God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere all the time. He's omnipotent. That means he's all powerful, nothing more powerful than God or even close to the power of God. He's omniscient. That means God knows all things. Satan's none of those things. See, we get the idea that like God, Satan can be everywhere all the time. We talk, oh, I just feel the devil here. No, probably not. Because he can't be everywhere all the time. He can only be in one place at a time. And 
and his demons, when you sense a spirit of evil or you sense a spirit of resistance, maybe even in our worship services, I've sensed a spirit of resistance before. That is the demonic forces coming trying to thwart our service. I don't want to scare you or freak you out, but if all of a sudden your spiritual eyes were opened and you could see in the spirit world, there is a war going on in the heavenlies right now for this worship service. You say, that's strange. You might not have ever heard that before, but I'm telling you, the spirit world is more real than this world. And one day, our eyes are going to be opened up to the spirit world, and we're going to go, whoa. See, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 and 2, and I didn't put this on the screen. Just jot it down if I don't have it in your notes. Ephesians 2 and 2 tells us that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. See, he's here. He's not in hell. It calls him the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. He's not in hell, but he's going to be in hell one day because he's going to be cast there. Now, he's not going to be the Lord of hell. I mean, when God throws Satan into hell, Satan isn't going to go, all right, I'm here. You know, he's got his pitchfork and his crown, whatever a devil crown looks like. And I'm Lord of hell. No, he's going to be in the lake of fire. Just read it to you. He's going to be in there being punished just like everybody else. He's incarcerated against his will. So don't put this dude on a pedestal of, in any way. He is doomed. He's doomed. He's already lost. Jesus talked about the cross of Calvary and the shed blood and the resurrection. And he said, now is the prince of this world cast down. Now, not one day, but he's already defeated. Can I tell you something? As a believer, you've already won. And as Satan, he's already lost. Already. So really, you don't pray for victory. You pray from victory. That's good stuff right there. Who else will be there? Every foul demon. Matthew 28, 41 says the devil and his angels. These devil angels were once God's bright shining angels. But when Lucifer, Satan, fell from heaven, angels fell with him. A horde of angels, a, 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 a number impossible to count, fell with him. And so now they are his demons who, who, who go about the earth doing his bidding. And one day they too will be incarcerated. Here's my point. When we talk about hell, we think about fire and the awfulness of being in fire forever and ever and ever. And that is terrible. But I want you to understand there are more things awful about hell than fire. And that is your company you're going to have there forever and ever and ever. Now forever and ever is a long time. Who else is going to be there? Every ungodly person. The cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable. Again, that means monstrous. Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars. Now look, I always have somebody say this to me, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Well, I'm not a Christian. I mean, in the sense that I haven't asked Jesus to come into my heart or anything, and I haven't gotten saved or born again like you guys are always talking about. But i got to tell you something. I am not a bad person, and I'm not a person like the one you just read about in Revelation 21.8. I'm not in that list anywhere. I'm too good to go to hell. I'm nowhere in that list. Well, let me just take you back to the beginning of the list. The cowardly. See, that means those who will not receive Jesus because they care more about what men think than what God thinks. Y'all with me today? So, think about that. And the unbelieving, and we go back to what I said in the beginning of my sermon 
And that is that there is only one sin that will take you to hell, and it is unbelief. As a matter of fact, there is misunderstanding about what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Y'all ever heard of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And it's the only unforgivable sin. And we get in our, our mind and our thought pattern that, that what that means is somebody does something and they did it in the anointing or under the anointing or empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And we looked at that and we said, that's not God. And, and so uh, we, we think we blaspheme the Holy Spirit and we think God will never forgive us for that. That is not what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is simply this. As you're sitting there in that pew this morning and the Holy Spirit is saying to you because you do not know Christ as your personal Savior, you've not received him as your personal Savior yet, the Holy Spirit is going, Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to save you today in this service. Jesus is what you need. Jesus is your answer. Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus rose from the dead for you. Stop looking to the left and the right. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. I got to tell you all something. I heard that voice when I was a little boy, and I remember hearing that voice. Now, how many of you have heard the Holy Spirit say that to you? Amen. If you're saved, you've heard him say it to you. Here's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. When you hear that, and you say back to that voice, no, no, I don't want Jesus. I'm not ready for Jesus. They're hypocrites. I don't want Jesus in my life. And if that guy out there at Whitley's a Christian, then I don't want to be a Christian. We're not trying to lead you to Whitley or the guy at Whitley. We're trying to lead you to Jesus. And as long as you say that to the Holy Spirit, you will never be saved. You will never be saved. No matter what else you do, feed the poor, go on a, to a foreign country and give your life to the Peace Corps. Do whatever you want to do. You will never be saved until that little voice that says, you need Jesus. And you look at it and go, okay, I receive Jesus. I want Jesus in my life. It is at that moment you are no longer blaspheming the Holy Spirit and you are receiving Christ as your personal Savior. So you say, I'm too good. No, you're not too good to go to hell because you don't go to hell on whether you were good or bad. You, you, go, you go to heaven or hell based on whether you believe and receive Jesus. You say, well, shouldn't we do good things and shouldn't we do good works? Yes, but those good things you do and good works you do should come out of knowing Jesus. Not come out of an attempt to be right with Jesus because doing all the good works in the world will not make you right with Jesus. And I know that's hard because most religions and most churches today, even, even churches I grew up in, really put a big emphasis on not only the fact that Jesus came into your heart, but then what did you do? It was like Jesus plus my good stuff I do. If I accept Jesus plus do a lot of good stuff, then I'll make it to heaven. Y'all with me? But I'm telling you, it's Jesus plus zero. You say, well, what about the good works? Well, if you really know him, you'll do good works. Good works are a byproduct of knowing Jesus. Yesterday, people were out here working for Caden and his family. People were working at the bridge yesterday. People were giving out angel food yesterday. Why do you think these people, I mean, our church probably would just had as many people involved working yesterday as we have here in service today just about. Just doing good works and blessing people and trying to help people and reach out to people and be Jesus to people. Where do you think that came from? 
That didn't come from an attempt. So they go, hey, Jesus, look what I did. Can I go to heaven? That wasn't that. They know they're going to heaven because they believed. But because of their relationship with Jesus, they wanted to help Caden and his family. And they wanted to bring angel food to those who needed. And they wanted to go to the bridge and work last night because they know Jesus. Not to be right with Jesus. Because they are right with Jesus. Am I making any sense? Let's pray. Now here's what I want you to do. And I'm, I've gone way over my time. I'm gonna, they're going to kill me at staff meeting Tuesday. Listen, if you, don't, if you know Jesus, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a picture in your mind of somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Just close your eyes. Get a picture in your mind of somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Now listen. That person that you've got your eyes closed and you see them, listen to me. I want to be real blunt. They're going to hell if they die like they are. How serious is that to you? How serious is that to you? I want you to say, God, I pray for their salvation. Then I want you to say, God, what can I do? What would you have me do, God, to reach this person I see? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? Could I write a card? You see, some people, you can't even talk to them about Jesus because they would be very resistant and angry. And, but you can show Jesus. Ask God this. Say, God, how can I show Jesus? What could I do that would make them go, wow, wow, that's, that's an act of love I've never seen before. You say, I don't know what that would be. That's why you're praying. God's going to give you an idea. God's going to give you an inspiration of something you can do to show Jesus to somebody who's not going to listen to you talk about Jesus. Y'all hear me? Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we're going to pray a prayer right now for you to receive Jesus because I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to go to heaven. So I want you to pray this prayer right now to receive Jesus. Let's be very reverent. It's very important that we be very reverent right now. So let's pray. Everybody pray out loud with me. Heavenly Father, you sent your son, he came willingly, died on a cross, was buried to be forgotten, but rose from the dead. Lord Jesus, risen from the dead, I need you. I desire you. I've been running from you, making excuses, but not today. I want to go to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Live in me. Take up your rightful place on the throne of my heart. Be my Savior and become my Lord as I grow and serve you. I receive you today. I am now a born-again Christian. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, please don't look around. If you prayed that prayer today, you weren't sure where you were with God when you walked in, but you prayed that prayer and you meant business because God does business with people who mean business, I want you to put your hand up real quick and then put it right back down if you prayed that today. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Everybody look at me. Now, the Bible says when somebody prays that prayer and they really mean it, that there's a party in heaven. So if there's a party in heaven, the least we can do 